Welcome to the Vinny Rock Podcast. Podcast. I took the blows and did it my way. It's time, the Vinny Rock Podcast. What up, what up, what up? It's the Vinny Rock Podcast, y'all. I got a really cool podcast today, man. I'm actually really excited about this. We got Michael Glover. Mike Glover, do you guys know who he is? You know you know who he is, all right? This dude has Fieldcraft Survival. Um, he also has American Contingency. This guy right here has some awesome knowledge to drop on you. And the crazy thing is, he's getting a lot of flack for it, and I don't know why, but you guys get to hear from his mouth. Incredible, incredible mindset this man has. And so before we get to that, you know, we got to get to the sponsors. Uh, we got Core Medical Group is a telemedicine company that will send testosterone to your house directly if you need it. Yes, if you guys need a testosterone replacement therapy, I recommend every single one of you go get your blood work done. If you're over 25 and you're not feeling so fresh, hit them up. They'll uh, they'll get your blood work done. You'll get your blood work done, and they'll tell you exactly what you need. And if you need TRT, they'll send it directly to your house in a very discreet package. They do multiple other things as well. You guys go look them up. Check them out. If you guys need their information, hit me directly, and I will send you directly to my dude who runs it. Also, Beyond Clothing. Beyond Clothing is an outdoor expeditionary clothing, a layered system. The winter's coming. You want to be prepared. Go get yourself some gear. Just go look at the company. Trust me, beyondclothing.com. Go look at their stuff, and you will not be disappointed. Beautiful stuff they have there, and it's always high quality. Use that promo code Rocco. Get yourself some discount on that jam. Willie Pete's Chocolates. This man makes chocolates from his house. Yeah, makes it homemade chocolate with spice, different Skullville units. If you like spice and you like chocolate, you'll love Willie Peach Chocolates. Go check them out, willypeachchocolate.org. Oh, shit. Let's make sure because it's .com or .org. People use different ones, and I'm, I, I don't want to mess that up. Willie Peach. Oh, my goodness, Vince. What are you doing? Willie Peach. Willie Peach. I'm going to have to get back to you on that. I can't even believe I... Willy, Willy, either way, either way. Um, see, now I'm, now I'm curious. I don't want to. Willy Peach Chocolates. Here we go. Uh, it is willypeachchocolates.com. Willypeachchocolates.com. You will love it. Oh, my goodness. GMR Gold. GMR Gold is a precious metal company. Uh, I just had two buddies purchase the $400 or $300 package. They love it. They're super excited about it. That's GMR Gold. Also, the Bullion Box is the subscription base of GMR Gold. So Bullion Box, you can get your little precious metal sent directly to your house every month. Go check them out. You know, I really enjoy them. I'm waiting for my next shipment to come in here soon. Super excited about GMR Gold. Use my promo code Rocco. Barry Law. It is a law firm that was created by a veteran. 
and now his sons run it. They are veterans as well, combat veterans. Uh, they are there to make sure that you get what you deserve with your VA benefits. If you feel like you've been treated unjust, if you feel like you're not getting the ratings that you deserve, please hit up Barry Law at PTSDlawyers.com, PTSDlawyers.com, and get yourself situated. Get that money that you deserve. Perseverance Survival, home of the original Will Be Hoodie. They also have Ranger panties in all kinds of different colors and styles. You'll love them. I love them. That is a veteran-owned business as well. They're doing their thing. Uh, go check them out. You got Modern Gun School. Modern Gun School. You can go to mgs.edu or you can go to their Instagram at, at Modern Gun School. That is a distance learning, distance learning armor school. There you go. You can learn how to be an armor all in the comfort of your own home using that GI Bill or vocational rehab. Yes, they take them both. If, they're, if you're just sitting on those and you're not using them, you might as well get better. You might as well work towards getting better. And don't forget, there's Veteran.com. We're not doing a giveaway right now at this moment. Actually, I'm giving away some uh, Xbox and PlayStations with StackUp. You go to StackUp.org. Uh, you can check that out. We'll be giving away some, I think, six different Xboxes or PlayStations this month. And in Christmas time, they're going to be giving away some PCs to veterans all across the nation. Uh, it's a really cool company. Working partners with them. Uh, and with that, Veteran.com is there for you. We got shirts. We got new stuff coming out. Working on some new products. Hopefully coming out really fucking soon. That is my company. That is why I represent. And I just want to see our veteran brothers and sisters do more. Be more, a better me, a better community. Now, let's get to the podcast with Mike Glover. I took the blows and did it more. Listen, dog. Listen, dude. I, My brain doesn't. You guys already know who this is. Mike Glover. What up, dog? What's up, man? Dude, so... um. Here's the funny thing. We connected through social media, but we've been connected for years through friends or, or, or contacts. When you're in the special operations community, it's, it's very easy to just be associated with someone just by someone else, mm -hmm. right? And then by chance, your name kept coming up, dude. So oh, I'm shit. I'm no, tell I you, not in a bad way. No, no. It was a good way. It was a good way. No, no. I don't associate with, with uh, you know, shit talkers too often, but- I was walking out of a Starbucks. <laughs> People can be like, oh my God, Starbucks. <laughs> I was walking out of a Starbucks in LA. I was actually waiting for my wife to come. She was flying down to visit me because I was working on set with Mayans. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, we were in Burbank. As I'm, I'm leaving a fucking Starbucks. I rip off my mask, right? Because, because those masks are fucking irritating at times, right? Can't breathe. Right. So I ripped it off and a dude was walking by at the same time. He goes, Rocco. I was like, yeah. And he goes, dude, I'm a big fan. I was like, oh, fucking cool, man. What's up, man? So we ripped it for a minute. He's a Latino kid in the San Fernando Valley where I grew up. So we had a lot to talk about. But um, then it went into like, bro, are you on Discord? And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I do a video game thing. So yeah, of course. He goes, dude, you should get on this one thing. And, you know, Mike Glover really kind of helped start this concept. And I was like, how do I know the name, bro? So then I look, I was like, bro, I know exactly who this fucking is. I've been watching you talk on like YouTubes. I've been talking yeah. like really dope messages, right? And we've never reached out. And so I was like, okay, cool. I was like, dog, give me an invite. So he gave me an invite. So this is two parts of the story. He gave me an invite. Later that day, I got banned from freaking Discord. <laughs> yeah. The whole thing got shut down. Dog, I can't get into my video game Discords now. Really? Yeah, because they banned my whole account. 
Yeah, my account got dis like I can't even get it back right now. So mine too. I right. I, all, I lost everything. But anyone why would, who why was, would they anyone do who was on that account had oh, that happen to them. Their personal account. Everyone. Yep. Oh my god. Yeah. So every every however many hundreds and thousands. Oh, they said it was a th over a thousand. Over a thousand. Yeah. yeah. And and people that don't know Discord. Discord is kind of a new communication uh, social page where you can you can it's like a blog. So, yeah. Uh, that has information. It's a, you're supposed to be able to do shit like that, right? Bro, there was nothing wrong with it. I got a fucking email saying that we were threatening. I know. I saw other, that. And, and that in threatening as in like, wait, you can't even message people from this fucking Discord. This is a completely informational Discord. Yeah. I it, the whole thing got shut down by the thousands and then um i was like i was surprised i was not surprised that our main account got shut down i was surprised that everybody else's regional accounts yeah got shut down because that was their means of communication oh completely completely smoked i can't yeah. i gotta create a new one it's gonna be like yeah. uh part two <laughs> don't they stand on the principle of being like the non-censored platform There's, like it's discord uh, yeah but no one does anymore. I know it's it's, right? it's all bullshit. So do me a favor for the listeners who don't know who you are by chance. Give me a little background on yourself, your military experience, and what you're doing now in the, in in the community. Yeah, so I'm a, a former special operations guy. I was a Green Beret for a long time, uh, infantry guy. Um, was a sergeant major in special operations. That's um, dope. That was a dream of mine. Got out and did CIA contracting for a few years, and then. And then realized I wanted to start my own business. So I started like a preparedness company focused on people being, educating on people being more reliant on themselves yes. as opposed to dependent on a system. And uh, that's Phil Kraft's survival. Uh, fast forward four years and I started American Contingency, another movement that's focused on educating people about preparedness from a broader perspective. So no, not, not political. <laughs> that's the problem is that it, it's it's not political but perceived as political right yes, it's per per yeah. perceived as if you have an agenda mm -hmm. and that is what's the hardest part right now is being in the entertainment space in in the social media space being in the influencer space for some reason people want to align you with a an agenda mm -hmm. and that is fucking frustrating as all hell yeah think about this so i was my little social media nothing crazy just a regular page but when this whole black lives matter movement went on and don't worry this doesn't go down the road of any kind of political it's just just shows for where we're at right now with with social media and people controlling the space or just the thought process of people that want to align you with things you know, I supported the concept of Black Lives Matter because I'm like, okay, if you feel that you are um, treated unjust, I can support that, mm -hmm. okay? And so I put the black square, and mm -hmm. people started shitting all over me, thinking like, what, you don't support cops? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can support mm -hmm. all of the thought processes. I'm not yeah. saying, you know, yeah. I, I'm never going to say I hate cops because I was law enforcement. I support my law enforcement. I believe uh, the system is in place for reasons. And I always will say that there's always room for improvement in every system. Mm. Uh, and so that was the weirdest thing for me. So I removed that. And I was like, I'm not going to sit here and play, allow people to assume what agenda I per I'm perceiving for myself based off of one image. Yeah. And that's where we're at these days, right? That's where we're at in, in the space of, of social media, mainstream media, and, and generating a following on something as common sense of yours would be how to survive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And they've they've turned you, some people have turned you into the thought process that you are are aligned with any other agenda other than just survival. Yeah, I mean, we got called American Contingency, which is a organization that supports people, 
doesn't have a political affiliation. Right. And we got lumped in in a USA Today article of being associated by name uh, as a militia who had right wing extremist views, which couldn't be further from the truth. Right. I mean, I had a post like in the Black Lives Matter thing, like in 2018, when uh, Black Lives Matter was a thing. I actually did a lot of research about Black Lives Matter and found the origin story. As the, as the, or, as the organization. As the organization, yes. right? And I'm all about social... Look, if any organization that's grossly affected or dis, you know, especially disproportionately affected uh, in any context, in any means, um, I support that yeah. organization to be able to peacefully protest, do whatever. In 2008, I believe it was 18, uh, I did a podcast in 19 about that circumstance in 18. You know, we were looking in the preparedness aspect of what was happening at the time in Baltimore. And I did some deep-rooted research on Black Lives Matter as, you know, being based in Marxist ideology and some of their decentralized ops plans right. just to better understand preparedness. So when this whole BLM thing came out, I said, hey, listen, I don't care what organization you are. As long as you're not violently protesting and committing crime, acts of violence, then we're good. So I, I support everybody. And immediately when I started American Contingency, which was based off the literal non-response of first responders in these highly politicized areas like yeah. uh, Seattle and Portland, um, I started getting attacked. I mean, I, the first article within a week of me starting American Contingency called me a white supremacist. Which that's is the, weird because I'm Korean. I'm, I was gonna say you're hard. Korean, right? Yeah. I'm you know, don't, you know, Tongkamong Pangu means. Oh, that sounds. Yeah, it's a butthole fart. Yeah, oh it's, yeah, it's, I know the Pangu. Yeah, Pangu is an easy one. <laughs> yeah, I got a little Korean in me, bro. Yeah, I like that, man. <laughs> Pangu. No, but that's the funny thing about where we're at in society. Like they're just gonna assume, but if someone labels you that, you're fucked, right? Because mm -hmm. people believe just what other people say. It's the weirdest thing. So I, my career, just getting to know me, infantry first. Became a drill sergeant after, jumped into psychological operations for a little bit, boom, got promoted right back into a drill sergeant position. Mm -hmm. So my short stint as a psychological as PSYOP NCO, um, you learn a lot about, uh, you know, creating these messages and whatnot. And mm -hmm. I, wrote a, I wrote a blog about it's crazy for me to see psychological operations techniques being used in mainstream media today. Mm -hmm. And that is an uncomfortable thing to understand. And the hardest part for me is that society as a whole with the immediate gratification mindsets will never investigate any article or news source themselves. They will take everything as face value. Mm -hmm. And that's an uncomfortable, like where in society or what happened in the past fucking, man, I would say 50 years where people stopped really researching the information that they're receiving and just taking everything as facts. That I think that's a big problem. And I think something that what you're doing is kind of getting people to think outside the, the box of what society is kind of putting us into. And I think when you, when you get put into this box, you stop thinking for yourselves. And, and, and some people are probably like, oh no, man, you're, you're being conspiracy. I'm not conspiracy theorying shit. I'm saying if you can't do your own research on articles and think objectively on everything that's being put out, well then you're in a box of just allowing everyone to tell you what truth is. Yeah. And that becomes dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. If you control the messaging, you control the population, right? It's, it's population control. PSYOPs is, um, you know, has a very easy construct that we understand in special operations for how to control that. Right. And the media has become very good at doing that and executing 
um, you know, behavioral changes based yes. on, you know, media templates. Well, and it's an emotional response. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You emotionally get someone involved in any kind of scenario. You say, you say, uh, let's just say Mexican lives matter. Like if you just throw that term out there, if you're Mexican and you don't support that concept, there's a problem in, in your head. You yeah. almost feel obligated to join in on an emotional response. And yeah. this is this is what's happening across the board. And it's a scary time, man. And I think what you're doing is pretty cool because, um, you know, when this shit went down with COVID, bro, I was mad at my fucking self because I wasn't prepared. Mm -hmm. I was fucking scared. You're talking for a guy that has seven fucking kids, bro. That's not an easy thing to keep alive in the event of shit goes down. Yeah. Now I feel like, fuck, what did I do? Mm. I left my family unprepared and I am highly trained compared to the basic individual, the average person. And I have failed my family dramatically when it comes to the first month of looking for toilet paper. Yeah. I had none. You know, looking for, for grains of rice, I had none. For, for your basic meat supply, none. I was fucked. There was seriously... Three days in a row, we were rice-a-roni eating fucking spam chomping family. And I was like, whoa, this is my fault, right? Dad wasn't making the right decisions for his own family uh, and wasn't thinking uh, the long game of at any point, man, let's just say a massive earthquake hit, we would have an issue in my household. Mm. And this had me thinking, dude. I mean, it had me loading mags. It had me getting my plate carriers ready. It had me now thinking of all the contingency plans I should have had in place mentally and physically in my household that I didn't. Yeah. And, and so this is really, and, the, and it's, so it was kind of cool that your name started popping up. It was in the same sense of like, man, I really need to start listening to guys like you because COVID alone scared the shit out of me. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people were awoken by the entire circumstance that was COVID because now, I mean, look, the, it, it made us realize socially that we can get away with a lot of things that we didn't think we could. So all these necessities that we thought were essential, they weren't essential. Like no. we could work from home. Yeah. And we, our kids didn't have to go to school because we, we would just work through it and teach them virtually or teach them ourselves. Right. And so a lot of things that we were dependent on, I think it kind of trims the fat and allows us to see what our true capabilities are. Yeah. It's almost like a shakeout, right? It's like, yeah. it's like doing a training session before war. I mean, you're getting an opportunity where a gross pandemic 50 years ago would have killed tens of millions of people because of our lack of understanding of health, wellness, infrastructure, government, oh, yeah. et cetera, oh, yeah. that we could do a dry run now to be better prepared for the future. And that's something we always advocate for, but more so now because outside of uh, COVID itself, the social economic issues it's causing I think are going to have resounding effects. I mean, this is oh, for sure. two, three, five, ten years down the road. No, definitely. You know, it's funny. It's like we, in in essence, we have all been institutionalized mm. to live the system of kids need to go to school. Yeah. You know, you need to do this, right? And so just recently, my mind has flipped so much that I even sat there and talked to my wife like, I just sold a house in El Paso. Thank God. I've been holding on to that bad boy for a long time. So that puts me in a position like, well, now where do I invest that money into? Mm. I might invest into a ranch, right? I might invest into a space that becomes uh, not a fortified fighting position by any means, but a space where I can learn to farm. I can learn to be self-sustaining. I can have a place where like, if 
things get a little bit uncomfortable. Or what if I just say, fuck everything, dog. Let's just go and live. Mm. Let's enjoy the day-to-day of teaching my son how to be a fucking cowboy. You mm. know what I'm saying? Because there's, there's something beautiful about the root of that, of waking up and feeding the chickens and, 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 and heading to the, to, the, to the cattle and whatnot and, and raising your own food sources and entertaining your own family and educating them. There's something to that that sounds so uh, attractive that for so many years I've been in the systematic mindset of get the kids a nice house in the city, get them a good good school, and that's what life is. Mm-hmm. And COVID really made me step back and be like, no, nah, fuck that. Life was being quarantined my house, but finding a way to entertain these kids, enjoy them. We were playing fucking stupid-ass games in the backyard, but that was more powerful then watching a Friday night movie uh, with the kids, no, I was actually out there playing a fucking wiffle ball game with the kids and having a blast. And these are memories that I'll pull from this and be like, why am I not always doing that? Like this actually has genuinely changed my fucking life because uh, we now do disc golf. I don't know if anyone fucking does disc golf around here, but you know what that is? Yeah, like, it's like throwing the disc in the yeah. that thing cage. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's super fun. It's fucking nuts because, yeah. because the weirdest thing about that is it is not a common thing played in our time, it's really kind of this hippie sport or this military. I played it a little bit, yeah. But it's now a family thing of just getting the fuck outside, walking the course, laughing together, mm. and that is is has been a very important thing to to me. And it's just it's crazy that the crisis of a COVID is what had me thinking finally outside of a box and saying there's so much more life than this institutional lifestyle that I've been grown accustomed to. Yeah, that complacency that's bred is a characteristic of freedom, right? Yeah. When you, the more free your society is, the more squared away it is, you're likely to be more complacent, which is a, a proxy benefit. I mean, it's, it, it literally is a, a great thing. The problem is if you don't emplace your own contingencies and thinking outside um, the worst case scenario, potentially, uh, and you don't have a plan, you know, it starts with a plan, but if you right. don't have a plan of action, then you're likely to be a victim in that circumstance. And most societies can get away with that in some form or fashion. But when you have pandemic on top of social discourse, on top of, you know, whatever it may be, things are compounding factors. And, yeah. and you'll likely stack the deck. Like I've always lived rural. My my entire life has been rural. My first house was on acreage. Um, I live that now on 20 plus acres. Oh, it's fucking gorgeous. I, I just, it's, my horses, my chickens, like that's my life. And even though I, 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 as a CEO of a preparedness company and somebody who kind of lives that lifestyle, but works, um, it, for me, it's a perfect balance because I go home to living yeah. and I, I don't have to go home to, you know, a small complex apartment condo. And it, and it feels good to do that. No, know? I think that's, there's something powerful in that. And it, it's, if you're not even thinking about readiness, you are already seriously 10 steps ahead of us in the readiness platform when you live like that. Yeah, the most rural, <laughs> like if you go to, yeah, I talk about like uh, mobility specifically in uh, with Phil Craft Survival because your mobility platform, your vehicle was an yeah. important component to how you get out of a bad circumstance. Uh, it, it literally is your transportation to medical for support. Right. You know, the list goes on. Getting out of a dangerous circumstance. This, this vehicle platform uh, like having extended fuel tanks, for example, is something that I've educated people to get. But rural America knows that because then you're near Montana and you you go 200 miles without a gas station. Right. You need that. Yeah, you've already grown accustomed to, to yeah. some of the things that you recommend to the average person who doesn't doesn't even think that's a thing. Yeah, rural America. You could learn a lot from rural America 
which I think is super beneficial for people. And I think that that relationship between suburbia and urbanites and then rural America, them communicating and interacting and being better prepared as a whole, I think is super beneficial. Yeah. Fuck, dude. So me right now, uh, kids, wife, dogs, uh, you know, the average amount of guns in a household. I'm not a crazy gun nut. I'm just the average. I got my, you know, you know what I have. Um, what is something that you recommend for the average dude? You know, there's some, some basic things that I probably don't have. And, you know, I have the basic military thing, right? I do have plates, right? I do have a system, right? I have medical experience and training. So that's always a, 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 a notch that most people probably don't have is the amount of medical training that I have. So that's a huge plus in my world. But what are some basic things that you would probably um, recommend to the average dude like me? I think the, the here's the problem. We have a culture where the Second Amendment, which is the 2A movement essentially in popular culture, has made carrying a pistol or firearm popular. Yeah. It's it's which is a good thing, I think, especially if you if you add on um, the understanding of self-defense and then training. Yeah. But it's not cool just to carry a gun in your waistband and not have any understanding of kind of like Dude, the scariest thing. Like, hey, the what are the legal ramifications of me using this? Yeah. Um and then not understanding like the statistical probability of uh, survivability. I mean, the likelihood of you being in a gunfight is very slim compared yes. as compared to a potential accident, right? right. 30,000 people a year die in vehicle accidents, for example. And I wonder how many statistically could have been saved if they would have had basic life-saving skills and first right. aid and trauma. Right. We learn tactical combat casualty care, combat lifesaver as a baseline as a soldier in the military. Yeah. So everybody, in my opinion, should be trained as a civilian. If you drive a car, the same way you look at your seatbelt as being a life-saving piece of equipment, yeah. that is a preventative measure from you bouncing off the dashboard. Well, why would you not carry a tourniquet that's $29.99? You just paid $30,000 for a vehicle. Right. Why would you not pay $30 for a tourniquet that could stop the bleed via an extremity and takes you about an hour on YouTube to understand in principle and then learn the actual skill sets that are necessary to save lives, including that of your family. Right. So, you know, when I was in, uh, when I worked for the, the CIA as a contractor and I'm in the middle of Yemen, I am my own first response. Right. Well, I don't have a, a, a QRF of Ranger Regiment guys and, you know, MH60s that are come saving my ass. You don't have that in America right. because the average first response time for a first responder is about 12 minutes. Yep. Well, you'll bleed out before then. Right. So have basic life-saving care equipment, which includes a tourniquet. Um, we, we carry a vehicle trauma response kit for field craft survival, which nice. encompasses all the things, including like burning bandages that you would need oh, great. to save your life. Yeah. But we also provide the training. Carry a med kit in your car, an ind individual first aid kit like we did uh, in the military and have an, the ability to upgrade that anywhere. On my everyday carry in my Patagonia fly fishing bag that I carry everywhere, everywhere with me, I have a tourniquet. In your vehicle, you should upgrade that in capacity and have a first aid kit. Yeah. In your home, the shit should look like a hospital. Yeah. I mean, why not? If you, if you care about your family and about sustaining survivability, you should have the antibiotics. You should have the life-saving uh, gear. Hell, I have a Skedco in, in yes. my house to be yeah. able to carry a casualty. Right. Um, first aid is under 
utilized, underappreciated, and rarely ever trained. Dude, I'm going to tell you right now, man, it's crazy about, you say that about first aid. So joining the Border Patrol, I got into the Border Patrol uh, in 2009, a regular agent for two years. I started looking into the special operations teams. There's a BORTAC team and a BORSTAR team. BORTAC is the tactical team. It's essentially the the SWAT of the Border Patrol. BORSTAR is essentially a a... a looser version of what a PJ would be. Yeah. You're a search medical rescue person. Um, and that appealed to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I would became a Borstar agent in 2011 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got there, the weirdest thing to me was that Bortac was so offended with Borstar agents working with them hand in hand. The higher ups, the older dudes didn't understand why a medic needed, needed to be on the X. Mm-hmm. And you know what I say on the, on the X is like yeah. right on target, yeah. right? Um, but then you had issues like the Brian Terry incident. Brian Terry was was shot in the field by by a um, you know a drug smuggler and was killed pretty much. No matter what was happened, he wouldn't have had a medical. There no medical personnel would have been able to save him mm-hmm. with the injury that he yeah. sustained. But still raised the question like, but what if it was? Why wasn't a fucking medic on them? Right. Mm-hmm. Some weird thing about the border patrol, and I'm just gonna do my little gripe here was how did the border patrol not transition in learning from the military who's already at that time 10 years plus of combat experience mm-hmm. we have a medic with us on objectives all day if not multiple and if not we are trained to have a high level of medical experience ourselves mm-hmm. for that self-aid moment right yeah so it was just really i had a lot of people getting pissed that i'm teaching tactics to medics so they can understand the sops of bortac so they can be attached to bortac and actually work in the same room as bortac mm-hmm. i was the first dude uh there was a handful of us, but I was the first dude really pushing this and fighting with Bortac. Like, dude, what the fuck? Uh, as a medic, I have more combat experience than every fucking t- Bortac dude besides like two. And it's like, you should want a medic like me on target, ready to rock. And my job is solely to make sure you guys stay alive and stay in the fight. Mm. And it was this crazy argument that it never should be an argument, right? Medical is that important for every situation, not just combat, not just, you know, in personal survival, but like, you know, like our, our law enforcement officers within the past, what, five years are now like carrying tourniquets. You're like, what? Just now. Yeah. yeah. Like, how did that now become a thing? It should have been a thing. Mm-hmm. How are they not learning stop bleeding techniques or understanding these basics? Like, back in the day, they would give you a CPR fucking mask to hold, dude. And you're like, what the fuck am I going to do with this shit yep. in the field, bro? Very rarely ever going to have an opportunity to use a CPR mask. And if I ever do that, it's crazy. Yeah. What a crazy moment. Yeah, it's insane. I, I, I teach stop the bleed for active shooter scenarios. And I've trained many schools in that training. And I was really surprised at how many teachers um, weren't trained in first aid and trauma. And then on top of that, didn't have any motivation to get trained. Oh, that's that's what it is. It's... It's you live in the disbelief that it will ever happen to you, so why do it? That's just weird. Or yeah. that's just like, oh, that's scary. I don't want to think about that. Like, yeah. I get it. It's scary, but man, wouldn't you want to be ready for that worst case scenario? And maybe it's because where we come from, right? Mm-hmm. I always think worst case scenario. And sometimes it's a sickening thought because I think about it with my family. I'm like, oh God, if this happened, how would I handle that? Mm-hmm. Oh God, if this, and it eats me alive sometimes because sometimes I'm like mad at myself. Like, why the fuck do you think that shit? Well, it's myself getting ready for that moment to be able to act and fucking and act accordingly in mm-hmm. any scenario. I walk into, in, in, you know, in PTSD counseling, 
you know, are you always on guard? Like, yeah, man, because I should be, I think, because I am the protector of my world, right? Mm -hmm. My family is my fucking, those are my soldiers. And as Sergeant Major, uh, I want to make sure I'm making right decisions for them at any time. And mm -hmm. so I'm always thinking of the worst case scenario. Oh, if there's a mass shooting now, if there was a bomb that went off, if there was one asshole just running around being a dick, what would I do? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? And so I live in that mindset, but for some reason I don't fully uh, prepare myself like I should. And just like, like I said, recently I'm starting to make those changes, man. It's hard. I think it's hard to change human behavior in any circumstance, especially when things aren't convenient, right? When right. the reason, like my, my one, part of my business strategy for, I mean, it's it personally, it's a purpose driven strategy as well to get people to pay attention more to preparedness is I want to make it convenient for them. Like for example, carrying a pistol, right? Right guys carry pistols and they'll buy a holster that's on their right it used to be like a leather uh, uncle mike's holster on the yeah. right side of their 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 waistband and then they would get in a vehicle and then some people would realize not only is it in, in the wrong position because if i draw a pistol as a right-handed shooter off my right hip band or, or waistband i can't access it because i have a seat belt yeah. covering it but not only that, it's uncomfortable because I'm sitting on a center console right. and a chair that's making it uncomfortable. So what guys do is they simply stop doing it, right? right. You're not going to do something that's uncomfortable. You, right. You'll just, as a habit, you'll take a picture of it, you put it on the gram, and then you'll put it in your, <laughs> in your fucking first drawer, and then you'll never touch it again. <laughs> but the, the way that I look at anything, even for a state in trauma, is if you make it convenient and make it accessible and you make it fun then you're going to make it a part of human behavior, a habit, a lifestyle, yeah. and then you're more likely to use it. That's that's what we want to do because we don't want it to suck. So what would you recommend someone who does, just, just in this scenario? Mm -hmm. I don't want to give all your trade secrets away, but this scenario here, what, what do you teach guys? For the pistol thing? Yeah. Well, that's an easy one for me because, you know, I, I was, look, I think the, GRS staff office of the CIA, which that's not classified talking about that. I mean, it's an actual job position you could apply for on, on CIA.gov. The, the CIA, just clarification. somebody said that to me once, <laughs> like, oh, it's classified. Like, oh, yeah. actually, I'll send you a link to the actual application. You could just do that's, that. That's object, bro. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing there. So the global response staff office, which protects the CIA overseas, I, I think they uh, potentially invented what's called appendix carry now. Yeah. The reason I say that is because we are what's called mobile contractors, which means we roll mobile protecting people in vehicles. And so 99% of our job, we're inside of a vehicle. So if I'm sitting inside of a vehicle and I'm hinged at the hip flexor, which you are, everybody is, um, when you take a pistol and it's sitting anywhere over your leg, then it's going to be uncomfortable and you're going to have a barrel of a loaded gun in your femoral artery, which right. is just tactful, not tactful. So when you put it center line, which is not the appendix, it's actually center line over your crotch, that's comfortable in position because you could sit in any position and have the pistol there. It's comfortable if you have abs. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a gut and it's pointed back at your dick, yeah. then that's not yeah. uncomfortable. I, you know, appendix carry, there's some seasons yeah. where I'm all about it. And there's some seasons where I can't just get a, You need to get a smaller frame pistol. That's all it is. Get like a J-frame revolver. <laughs> or um, a chest rig while I drive. That's it, a chest rig. So I, I like the positioning of appendix carry, but here's the benefit. If you're a guy who does the right hand or right waistband, right hand carry holster, yeah. and then you're the guy, which I've seen happen before, 
you get inside the vehicle, you pull your gun out, you put it in the center console. Yeah. That's a bad habit to instill because one, you're pulling a loaded gun statistically more often, yeah. which would likely end up in something potentially happening just statistically. Right. But you're also pulling a gun out in the middle of a parking lot of yeah. Applebee's. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you don't need to be doing that. Yeah. So if you have an appendix carry, you have access because you could take the seatbelt and actually lift it and put it behind the frame of the gun. Yeah. Um, and also it's comfortable. Nice. So just do that. Or do like I do right now, which is a seasonal thing and also an uh, environmental thing. We live in Utah, fly fishing. I pass 50 fly fishing people driving from my uh, house into my business. Yeah. Carry a fly fishing bag that fits in your environment or a Merce purse, whatever it is, and carry a pistol in the back. Yeah. And now it's convenient, it's accessible, and you don't have to be uncomfortable in, in carrying it. My scariest thing, and you were, you were, you were saying, but I want to I caveat to that. The scariest motherfucker in the room is a guy with a gun with no training. Yeah. Dude. Yeah, absolutely. That's the crazy thing is like yeah. you see a lot of guys carrying guns, but we all know they don't train as much as they should, or they probably don't train at all. It's a response to let me protect myself in really weird times by buying a gun, but let me not do anything with that fucking gun, but just keep it in the box or, or put, you know what I mean? And that is the... That is so strange to me that we have a society that likes to say they have guns or or a lot of people buying guns to save themselves but don't know actually how to use that gun, which now poses the threat, well, now you just brought a gun to the fight. And in, in the law enforcement space, I always tell people that like, hey, in a use of force situation, there's always a gun involved. Why is that? Because you have it on you and at any point they can take it from you. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and so in that sense, it, it blows me away that people even buy guns that don't train with the guns. Like my brother just bought a gun recently. I said, bro, you better fucking train with that thing because I know he doesn't have experience with guns, but he lives in Arizona. He's like, you know what? I'm thinking about getting a gun. Dope, dude. Buy it. But you better pay for the fucking training as well. Mm -hmm. And you better find the schools and courses that are teaching you how to pull that motherfucker at the right time and add a little bit of stress to that system so you actually understand when you're pulling it with a, with a stress response, the difference in that. Mm. you know. And so it's this crazy thing with anyone with a gun who, who, who if you guys buy one, please fucking train with that motherfucker. Yes. Hit up your boys that have training. Um, dude, you want to take a break and eat real quick? You got, we got food here? Yeah, we, they got food. We're, oh, we're gonna, shit. Yeah, we crushed that. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, no. let's do it. We're going to take a break real quick, and uh, we're going to get some food. We'll give me a break. We are back from our uh, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so good, man. Break. Dude, I, it's funny you said uh, spicy chicken deluxe, because that's yeah. what I fucking ordered. I'm fat and happy right now. Bro, I feel good. Oof. I might fall asleep. <laughs> I feel so good right now. <laughs> Dude, so we were talking about, uh, you know, just some ways of of the average dude to to stay alive, and you you know you harped on the medical side of things. And dude, if you're ever teaching medical and I'm around, yeah. I'd love to join you, bro. Yeah, I'd love to join you, dude. That's the world that I just really enjoy, uh, and I've done it. So you just tell me, man. Now that we're neighbors, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, Heber City, right up the road from you, uh, we teach workshops every weekend. Yeah, um, it'd be cool to have you up. That'd be awesome for sure, dude. Yeah. I'm down with that. Let's do it. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. But so you guys are, oh, I saw this morning on your Instagram feed, you guys are building out your, your, your facility, correct right now? We are, we are. So we're doing a, the, the big reason we moved from Prescott, Arizona was we wanted more real estate yeah. and there's no real estate in Prescott, Arizona, very small town, very conservative, awesome place, but there's not a lot of room for growth. And, yeah. um, so we, we moved here. We have the shipping and receiving on the back end, but we have a classroom in the back that's that's huge. We have a pro shop on the front end, which includes um, 
you know, gun sales, tactical sales, survival, med. We're going to have all that stuff so, available. So it's going to be, I mean, my, my studio upstairs for the podcast and, and the office space is upstairs. So it's all in one place. And Philcraft HQ is officially in Heber City, Utah. I love that, dude. And Heber City is one of the most beautiful places. I've so looked epic. at. I've looked at some <clears throat> land out there. It's a little expensive for me. <laughs> but um, super rich. It's gorgeous, though. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I golfed out there uh, at the. I think the soldier, midway. The soldiers. It might be midway. It's called the soldier something there. Yeah, out, there, out that way. Yeah, beautiful freaking golf course. But so you guys teaching there, and then so we'll go back to the Discord thing where you had American the the American contingency um, Discord that got shut down for whatever reasons. But explain to me what American contingency is now and, and what the future is for that or what the goals are for that. So American contingency, we started as a means to kind of suppress the anxiety that we thought a lot of people were feeling. And that was based on DMs, messaging, traffic that we were receiving, where people were saying, hey, like you're talking about all this stuff, but what can I do in my own community? Like, right. Where does What's the start point? And the go criteria for us in activating American contingency was the first responders in Portland specifically that yeah. weren't responding to calls because they were dealing with riots and protest. Yeah. So I have a huge problem with that because I mean, your taxpayers dollars are spent and pulled to be allocated for first responders to respond to you, whether it's EMS fire in, or police. And the absence of that is, I mean, it's, it's super, um, anxious for the average civilian who doesn't have any experience or training. Yeah, no, no, right? for sure. For uh, me, I'm like, don't send anybody. I got yeah. this. Yeah, right. If it was me, if I'm in California, my wife called 911 and there was no response, she would lose her mind. Yeah, oh yeah. And because there's this ex expectation yep. to being protected by your own society and why are cops even there? They should be re responding to a call, especially if you, you have any issues. And fact that people weren't responding and not at all that's terrifying and it was larceny burglary assault uh, multiple calls it's not just like we delayed the time period in which the response was it was nobody came at all yeah no like no police report filed like nothing right and so the idea for us from the beginning with Phil Cross survival and then migrating to a, a broader platform in American contingency is everybody should be more self-reliant anyway. That's that's what I just personally feel, right? Yeah. Like if you live um, and depend on the infrastructure and the government and the institutions, you're setting yourself up for failure. Right. Because institutions inherently are flawed. I mean, it, we know this because we work for institutions. Right. We work for the government. So I want to empower people with education, which it, it, in a form is uh, providing them content and education. Uh, I want to provide them with physical training, meaning we're coming out to them and physically training them and stop the bleed, self-defense mindset, the list yes. goes on. And we want to provide a social platform for people to socially integrate because the foundation of preparedness is your social relationships. Correct. It has nothing to do with, or it has everything to do with the ability for you to integrate with value add assets in your own community. And we are likely because of technology, less likely to do that more so in human history. Yeah. And then lastly, um, we want to provide resourced information that's accurate, not subjective, that's very objective, that's going to help people make decisions in their everyday lives. Right. Like they weren't, the news, most national media outlets weren't reporting what was happening uh, throughout the United States. Most local news agencies weren't even reporting what was happening in their backyard. Why is that? 
it, well, one, it's it's because it's such a politically divisive issue, right? right? So if you're if ninety percent of your following or your ratings yes. depends on creating a narrative to appease the narrative for ratings to right. re, to retain those ratings, then you want to then you want to pander to your audience. That's crazy. So yeah, so now Provo down the road, right? Guy goes and he's driving to work. Yes, he goes down the wrong road, gets shot mm -hmm. by a, a protester. That incident's a perfect ex example. He didn't know why because he's just living his best life. Yep. He's not tracking like like metrics for getting out of dangerous situations. Right. And he's also not seeing it on the local news. Correct. So we want to provide kind of what we got in the military, a task force, like actionable information, meaning the information allows you to make a decision to do something about your life. Right. So if it means not going down Main Street and deviating your route to avoid the protest, that's yeah. what we want to do. Yeah, if he would have got a ping on his phone or an Amber Alert saying, hey, this street right now is, is having, a, having a, a protest. You should try and avoid it. He yeah. would have avoided it. Absolutely. And it, <laughs> Look, this whole, I think it's comical because I don't waste any time in addressing the demonizing of our organizations right. because I know who I am. Like, right. I don't have to, my guys know who I am. There's right. no secret here. There's no underground fascist organization that's growing out of this. Right. We only want to provide uh, positive resources to help people be better prepared. That's all right. it is. Oh, and I love that. And I think it's, it's funny that anyone can take that out of context and turn it into something else. But that's kind of the, the world we live in right now is everyone is offended by everyone else's opinions. And because your opinion is to be self-sustaining, you're a threat. And yeah. that is mind blowing. Um, and you know, most of my listeners are probably going to be, all, you know, they're, they're all about it. I'm sure. Uh, I think a lot of the listeners are, are going to be one, mostly probably know who you are already. Uh, and two, if they don't, they're now going to be fans because, uh, you know, it's mainly the community of law enforcement military who listens to my podcast anyways. Yeah. So, which is pretty dope. Um, in the event of, of a serious scenario, how important is water? So water, you know, the whole th rules of threes, right? You're likely to die from water in three days. That That's significant. But I think water is so important because getting bad water, which we've received in Iraq yeah. and Afghanistan, um, leads to a whole bunch of issues. Right. Like like the list goes on. There's right. many- Dehydration, uh, yeah. uh, uh, dysentery. Dysentery, like all these things further dehydrate. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah further dehydrate because of dysentery. And, and then destroy your ability to be thriving in this environment. So yeah. I think water is, is paramount. We just are spoiled because- we never have to worry about water. Like yeah. we, we hit the sink, right? It's it's on. Yeah. Um. You go to Africa. You go to anywhere uh, in the Middle East, and it's not like that. Yeah. It's super important. I have a a hundred gallon tank in my house. Yeah. It was there because the person before me was is LDS, and the LDS community has a very structured um ide ideology of having at least I think it's a year or two years worth of yeah. supply. Yeah. Which and is so, awesome. Which is super dope. And actually, I have the shelving for everything. But they're empty. Yeah, <laughs> I need to fix that. I need yeah. to get it because I was actually the the guy who used to own the house. Me and him are really good friends. And I and when this was all going down, I talked to him. I said, "Dude, 
what do I do with these shelves? He goes, bro, this is where you put this, this, this. He talked to me about oats. He talked to me about rice. He talked to me about everything. And so uh, now I'm trying to get that figured out. But yeah, I have this 100-gallon tank that it was just gifted to me by the previous owner of my house. Is it full of water or is it just a tank? It's, not, it's just a tank. I got to get water in it, dude. I got to put water in it. Yeah. This conversation is like, I'm putting notes in my head like, oh, fuck, go home and do something, bro. Because I am the worst at this kind of thing, dude. But it's cool because having you here, you really are making my mind think even more. Um, do you train kids to to self-defense as well? Do you train kids to... Because I'm asking for myself. I have... The gambit of kids. I have one kid that I'm going to have to put on a backpack and run, right? I'm, and I'm, I'm talking the apocalypse, right? Like whatever you want to say, these zombies are coming and I need to protect my, and I'm going to use that just as a figurative of speech. I have my boy who is uh, eight months is combat ineffective. <laughs> he yeah. is just, he just needs food and mom, right? Then I have 11 year olds. I have 13 year olds, 15 year olds, 17 year olds. Um, in, in your head right now, just game playing that, what are the roles that each should play in this scenario and helping sustain the family? Yeah, the key is what you just said is like, what are the roles, right? right. Task organization is like the first step in identifying how as a group or organization you're going to tackle the problem. Right. And, you know, like as a sergeant major in special operations, or even as a just an informal leader, a young SF guy, when I would line anything out, the first thing I would do is line out who was who and what their responsibilities, their duties and responsibilities right. were. So one is defining that, yeah. right? Because everybody has a list of uh, potential skill sets yeah. and they're either a value or they're an asset. Now, a child just happens to be a, a uh, at a disadvantage because of their specific age. Right. Like if you, if you actually, there's a couple of statistics that are interesting, but if you look at infants, yeah. which is zero to like, you know, four, let's call it four years. Yeah they actually have a high statistical probability of survival in yeah. outdoor austere environments. Literally, there's there's a case study, like a case study of uh, different circumstances in survival scenarios. Zero to four uh, years of age have a higher statistical probability of surviving in austere environments than hunters of their age, average age and demographic. Because in the event that a child's lost in an austere environment, they survive by primal means. And their primal means of survival are typically instinctive. They're biological. Yeah. If a child's cold, they're going to retain their own body heat, crawl into a tree, trunk, do whatever it takes to survive. Right. If a hunter is cold, they're going to uh, try to go and lost. They're going to go try to find their resource for, for right. fire. And ego might be might beat them too sometimes. Yeah, right? but that's a major part of it, right? right. Which is their, their cognitive abilities and their aptitude. So uh, another interesting statistic is typically um, uh, kids around the ages of 14, they are the l less likely to survive in a, in a catastrophe. That is because they have just enough aptitude, uh, not enough life experience, so they're willing to make a decision, but they make the wrong decision. Right? Oh, shit. Um, or they don't, they don't listen to dad is fucking what happens. Exactly. <laughs> they, they're the extreme versions of kids. the uh, egotistical hunter. And so when you when you look at children, what I always tell people is you have to look at uh, your children like you do your pets. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is how you conditionally uh, uh, train your children is the same way you would conditionally train your pets. Yeah. Like if you, it, like a child is not going to contemplate at a young age, contemplate decision-making, yeah. right? But if you condition them to do X 
and, and they'll execute because you give them a pro word. Like, let's say you say Irene. And Irene is a pro word to meet and rendezvous at the mailbox because the house is on fire. Right. When they when you when you scream Irene and they run down the stairs and they're confronted with a fire on the stairwell, they wouldn't know what to do because right. they they're, they're tying in a, a technical response, a conditioned response, with now a cognitive response. Yeah. They're running into the fire. Wait a minute, Dad didn't train me for this. What the hell do I do now? Right. right? Oh. So we have to train our kids to respond conditionally, and we have to train our kids to think. So well, if you, yeah, if you look at the like your situation, you have different brackets of different skill sets you have to teach, yeah. and different conversations you have to have. Well, it, to me, it sounds a lot like uh, you know in Ranger Battalion training my soldiers. Ranger Battalion is not like SF. You guys don't have salty, trained, experienced personnel showing up to tr try out. We have the knuckleheads <clears throat> of of the society of infantry and and who want to join. Uh, the special operations community f that have no knowledge. They essentially, our kids, I used to call them kids because they have no sense. But it's like, look, dude, shoot what I shoot, run where I go, don't question what the fuck I say, let's go. And in my head right now, it's like, those are like my kids. Like, I've, I would have to train those guys to like, just follow my lead. And then eventually I learned like, this kid is really good at carrying weight. This kid is really good at thinking this, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. now I identify that because I know my daughters, I have two daughters. One's a fighter, like a fucking massive fighter, badass. She won't quit. She's not a thinker though. Like I can't put her on the spot, but like I need you to try and figure out how to build this. She's not that. If I give her instructions, she could bake a damn badass cake, right? Yeah, so yeah. she is a very technical, like, here's what I need you to do. Go. My oldest one is a thinker. I'm like, I don't know how, but build me a fire. And she'll be like, got it. Boom. You know what I mean? So I'm thinking right now in my head, like, in the, in the event of it, you'd have to know your kids and their personalities as well. Um, and, you know, I have my 11-year-old boy. I'm just terrified for him. I would probably have to put him on my back with my son that's eight months <laughs> yeah. just to make yeah. sure he doesn't chop his own foot off because he scares me in life. He doesn't make a smart thought process. He just goes at life full speed, 100%, and whatever happens, happens. And so in my family, I'd be, like, super nervous about that. But it's crazy thinking – and. You know, in Ranger Town, you know that. Like, some of those guys are very young and just 17-year-old kids. And so trying to teach them, it rem reminds me of kids. So, damn, I'd be terrified. And now I get nervous about having so many kids. But I also yeah. think I have a I have a more certified fighting force because I have more kids. You got a fire team. Yeah, I yeah. got a team. I actually yeah. have a squad almost, you know? Yeah, the, 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 the interesting thing about, like, what you said with the Ranger Regiment is on purpose we train conditioned responses like – the immediate action drill, mm -hmm, right? Yes. Immediate action is yes. a, an actual tactic in FM 7-8, which is reacting or responding to contact, right? right. To react to contact. Yep. When you, the, the example would be, if you're on a 50 cal in Afghanistan, and a 50 cal for people listening is a, a large caliber weapon system that's uh, typically indirect. It's a direct firing weapon system as well, but it, meaning it's not uh, a super accurate Nats ass gun that we're using like a sniper weapon system. This is used to cause mass destruction yes. um, and create uh, mass casualties. So if I'm driving down Af uh, a road in Afghanistan and I get ambushed from the three o'clock from the right side of the convoy, right. I'm not going to slew the gun try to identify the target in an ambush, meaning receiving right. incoming fire that is effective or maybe ineffective, identify the target, go through a process of, you know, traversing the the T&E, you know, basically manipulating the weapon system, be on target, identify the target, and then call the target and then shoot the target, right? right. That, that shot process is not going to happen. 
because the advantage of immediate action is when I slew the gun and I start suppressing the bad guys, that's an actual tactic, which means I'm getting, I'm changing the disposition of the bad guys. Yes. So maybe their heads are up, now they're down. Right. Maybe they were up, maybe they're running now. Yeah. Maybe now I just flushed them out. Maybe they stopped shooting and they're not as effective. Yeah. So when we look at conditioned responses in survival with children, we need to understand when to enact immediate action. Meaning, I don't require that you think because I just want you to react, Yes. right? That is the pro response. Right. That is the, just listen to the sound of my voice yep. and do as I say. Yeah. And then blending that with, hey, hey son, what happens when you run down and I tell you to run down the stairs because you're not questioning me, remember? Right. remember? And then you run into a fire and you have nowhere to go. Where are you going to go? Yeah. Well, well, I don't know, dad, you tell me. Like, well, let's walk through it. Right. And you have a conversation. Yeah. Just in conversation is going to allow you to flush out a lot of those conditioned responses mixed with the cognition. And the reason I, I, I always strive to bring this home is because what we're talking about is technical responses, cognitive responses in a, um, a training environment, which means it's not real stress. Yeah. So if you take stress, which is the amplification of all these physiological changes in behavior, now we're talking about an amplified set of circumstances mm -hmm. where you just told them and you yelled to do something, but now they're not doing it because they're so stressed. Yes. Well, have you implemented or inoculated stress in any condition? Right. Because if you're just having the conversation, that's phase one. Yeah. Phase two is inoculating stress, yeah. right? And then elevating it from there. Yeah. Freaking crazy. I'm gonna go stress my kids out right now. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Take him to Chick-fil-A after, they'll be happy. <laughs> well, bro, man, we've been talking for a minute. I think we're going to have to have another session soon. Yep. Um, man, I, there's so much knowledge here. I think the people listening are going to message us, and they're going to follow suit. They're going to jump on board with you. They're going to check it out. I think there's so many nuggets here because a lot of people who do listen to me are parents. So I talk about my kids so often. I have That's a awesome. lot of debt. So I think this is going to be very beneficial for, for my listeners. And again, man, I appreciate you coming on board, man. Please uh, tell them where they can find you on social media and where your companies are as well. Yeah, so PhilCraftSurvival.com is the company. Uh, you guys can find it on Instagram at PhilCraftSurvival. We got PhilCraft Mobility, which is the, uh, the overland off-road version of that. And then Phil Craft Survival Fit, we teach fitness and stuff. And then my personal Instagram is mike.a.glover. I think the, the, the coolest thing that we did is migrated our content and a lot of things that we're putting out on the Locals channel, which is a unsuppressed, uncensored, I have a personal relationship with the CEO application that allows you to go to one stop um, and, and shop all you want on content and the things that we provide. Where is that? That's uh, philcraftsurvival.locals.com and AmericanContingency.locals.com. Um, they have a, there's a free side where we get the access to all the stuff that we do, like podcasts, et cetera. And then you can do the paid subscription side as well. Yeah, if you can text me that um, later. Yeah. I'll, whenever this is done getting uh, processed, I'll yeah. make sure I put that I in sure there will, so man. they can find I appreciate that. that. That's great, man. Well, I appreciate you, bro. Thanks for being here, dude. No, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to jump on yours next. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. <laughs> later. I took the blow.